We are at roughly the halfway point of our Lenten journey. There are about three weeks that have been behind us and about three weeks in front of us. I guess depending on your mindset in this season, this is either exciting news or it's frustrating news. We are only halfway through Lent. And we are already halfway to Easter. Identify the same point of this journey, but boy, do they convey a different message. For both perspectives, the Lenten journey is a long arc toward Easter, where we proclaim the good news of the covenants fully realized and fulfilled, where we can feel the overwhelming assurances of the promises on which we have been standing. As we have been on this journey toward the covenant of cross and resurrection, we've been looking at the covenants of old, the covenantal foundation with which our faith is built. We read this morning one of the covenants of one of the central figures of Abrahamic faith, David. So here this morning, these words from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Now, when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See, now I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of, covenant stays, ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you, will, you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring with after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take 
my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As this passage begins and the covenant develops, we hear the echoes of the covenants that we have been talking about coming into fruition or being lived out as God has spoken them. Despite, in fact, the level of adherence that humanity kept to the covenants, the covenant that God made with Noah remains intact. There clearly has not been a flood again to destroy the earth because, well, King David and all these people are here. Even though humanity unfurled back into violence and evil just like it had before, God kept that covenant. The Abrahamic covenant that we looked at the second week of Lent has played out as the nations have been born from Abraham and David, who is of Abraham's lineage, is ruling over these unified tribes of Israel. This happened again even though, among other things, Abraham took on a concubine following Sarah's death and had more children, showing somewhat of a lack of faith in God's commitment to fulfill God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah. Then, last week, the covenants continued to build on one another as we looked at the Mosaic covenant and how God gave the people the Ten Commandments guardrails on how they were to live and treat one another as they learned to live outside of slavery as they head toward the promised land. They get to the promised land as we see David ruling it here from his house of cedar with rest from his enemies. But they did not get there because they followed their end of the covenant either. But they got there not because of their adherence to the covenants, but because of God's. From Noah, we begin God's promises, to Abraham, who begins the lineage, to Moses, who teaches the rules of the promised land, to David. God exists in relationship with the flawed among God's people. And that has offered hope to so many. And that offers us hope today. Starting at an early age, We spend so much of our time in life preparing for what is to come. We spend so much of our life looking forward to the things that are coming. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. Spending time studying for a test or planning an event or spending time preparing a meal are forward-looking things that are good for us and good for people around us. But, so often our looking ahead is lustful, ambitious, arrogant, or detrimental to ourselves or to others. Moments where our looking ahead consumes us and sheds our ability to live into the here and now. There are moments where we are so concerned, excited, or even arrogant about the future that we miss the opportunities, joys, and privileges that God has around us right here and right now. 
We are more concerned with what is next than we are with what is now. It can be trivial things. It can be serious things. It can be all things in between. Sometime during elementary school, many children decide that they have had enough of elementary school and they are excited about middle school or junior high school. Their excitement interrupts their ability to appreciate the things of life that are happening around them and their relationships with the people that they are currently building around them. Then they get to junior high. Shortly after junior high starts, many teens and preteens forget how excited they were about junior high and start thinking about how much better high school will be. In high school, we see it again. It starts again towards college or towards a career. And then as adults, we're even worse. We do it in hundreds more ways. Life will be so much better when I get this job. Life will be so much better when I get this promotion. Life will be so much better once my family is this size. Life will be better when I buy a house. Life will be so much better when I've paid off that house. Life will be so much better when I can go on this vacation or that vacation or afford to do this or afford to do that. Life will be so much better when I am retired. Life will be so much better when I finally get all the things that I deserve. It is in so many of those moments as we continue to live them, that we look back and realize, well, gosh, life was all right before. If only I would not have been so concerned with what I thought I wanted or what I thought I needed. Our pride and arrogance so often makes us think that we always know what is better for us and that we forget that God has blessings for us in the here and now. That's been one of the hardest things, I think, about this pandemic and about the season of Lent each year. We are so eager for what is to come that we forget that God is here with us right now. David is where we often are here in the text at the beginning of this passage. King David is at what might arguably be the peak of his entire life. After a long saga with the Philistines, they are no longer a problem. There is no Goliath or any giant to worry about. The threat of Saul is gone. Two chapters previously, David was anointed king over all of the tribes of Israel, all 12 of them. A feat so impressive that David accomplished that it did not live long past his death. King David established a capital for them all, and in the chapter before, the Ark of the Covenant is paraded into the city. Things for King David and King David's people are as good as imaginable. But then creeps up on him that great challenge we all face. Instead of living into what is now, King David starts asking about what is next. The bigger problem is not that his what's next is not for the people he is to lead, but his what's next happens when he tells the prophet Nathan what is next for God. 
David decides that since David now lives in a house of cedar, perhaps that it is God's turn to have a house of cedar now too. Instead of letting the prophet guide David, David guided the prophet instead of asking God to guide them. Now it is easy for us to be critical of this, but how often do we too find ourselves guilty of a similar deed? Instead of hearing the way God is speaking to us and moving among us, we decide how God is speaking to us and moving among us. We decide our own opinions, our own human opinions independent of God, and then we find why that is what God wants for us too. We dehumanize people that we disagree with because of opinions they have or things they have done, and we forget that God has clearly told us to love one another. People on polar opposite sides of ethical, political, or life opinions cite that God is on their side. It is easy to do that, but we always must remember when we speak for God against our neighbor that we are always first and foremost to love one another. And we are to remain in constant conversation with God and with the text that God has given to us. Despite King David's projection of what God would want, God speaks the covenant through which David will be remembered, not through David himself, but through the prophet Nathan. In the process, we find a little bit of what we all experience at times, the realization that what we want for ourselves might be a little different than what God has in mind. For God reminds David through the prophet Nathan all that God has done for David and God's people Israel. But first, God starts with a bit of a humbling reminder to David. When God speaks to Nathan in verse 4, we see a bit of a shift after that, but God said to Nathan. In the first three verses of this morning's text, David is referred to by only one simple word, king. When the king settled in his house, the king said to the prophet, Nathan said to the king, one of the highest regards for a human, perhaps. But, when that but, God said to Nathan, when God starts talking to Nathan, David's identity changes. Go and tell my servant David. My servant David. A humble reminder from God on who David is and who God is. For even the great King David, the king of the united monarchy, and a man after God's own heart needs to be reminded from time to time who he serves. This is not the final time that, for that reminder either. For David, like us, is imperfect. He will have his faults with Bathsheba. He will have his faults in having Uriah killed. He will make mistakes. Which sometimes I wonder if that's why David speaks to us so much. Because we too make mistakes. But as we hear in this morning's passage, God will not remove 
God's steadfast love from David. And God does not remove God's steadfast love from us either. So often we look at the heroes of the Bible as being flat characters. We look at them as being static heroes. All good, never bad. We shy away from saying anything negative because they are biblical heroes and who are we to speak critically of them? But when we speak of them as all good and perfect heroes, and when we speak of only their great successes, we do them a disservice of, as being the human beings and accomplishments that they have. We do ourselves a disservice in making what they've done unachievable. And we do all the people out there that think they are not good enough for God's love a disservice as well. Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, they are all heroes. And they all made major mistakes. But in spite of that, or perhaps because of it, God cuts covenants with them. And if God can work through them, God can work through each and every one of us. I love a good word play. There is always something fun about a good use of a homophone or homonym or homograph, regardless of if I re ever remember which one is which. And this so often happens in Scripture. But because of the translations and language changes and whatnot throughout the years, we, we often have a hard time seeing it. David alludes to building God a house to which God speaks through Nathan, and this is the southern paraphrase, did I ever ask y'all for a house? I have been moving through a tent and tabernacle as I wish this whole time. If I wanted y'all to build me a house, then I would have asked for it. David's son, Solomon, ends up building a temple, but that temple does not really last that long in the grand scheme of things. God does not need a temple for God's self. No, the temple is more for us as God lives in each of us. God's covenant with David ends with the promise, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is using a little wordplay there for the word that God uses that is translated for us as house is the same word that David used when talking about building God a house. The play on words that God uses is that that same word that we see as house is also meant dynasty or lineage. God is saying that David's dynasty, David's lineage and kingdom shall be made sure forever before God. David's family line shall reign forever. God makes this covenant of a Messiah through the line of David. But once again, what God means by this and what we think God is doing are a little different. For the unified kingdom of Israel falls apart and splits less than 100 years later. Then the northern half of that kingdom of Israel falls about 200 years later. Then the southern kingdom falls about 150 years after that. And the Israelites are in exile wondering 
what God could have possibly meant by that covenant with David. But they hope for what may return through David's line. That someone may be born that brings the sword and rides in and reclaims the throne and puts things back in order that they want them and expect them to be. But instead, in a time of Roman rule, we find God's covenant with David to be fulfilled forever in an unexpected way through the one we follow today to the cross. For Matthew's gospel tells us that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Zelathiel, and Zelathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. This Messiah, promised through covenant with David, is who we follow to the cross in this season. Not because he came in with sword and shield, but because he laid down his life for all of humanity. Through a long line of flawed people, all of the world, might experience salvation. Through messy situation after messy situation, we receive the Messiah. Now, may Jesus Christ live on in each of us that we, even as flawed people as well, might share with the world the steadfast love that God promised to David and promises to each of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.